How's Rock Harbor Church tonight? Woo. I'm so thankful tonight that we have the Holy Spirit with us. Amen. I'm so thankful that we have a Father who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so, regardless of, of, of life and circumstances, God said, I'll never leave you. I'm never going to leave your side. He's always with you, constantly. Young people, you need to know that. No matter what you go through in life, he'll always be with you. He'll always be there. If, if, you, if you're looking for him, he said, if, you, if you're looking for me, you're going to find me. Mm-hmm. He said, that's his promise. Just, you know, and, and sometimes in life we get lost. Sometimes we get all kinds of things going on. But, you know, I hold on to that promise because, you know, when sometimes when, when we do get off course, we got to come back to a, a basis of belief. And that basis is, he said, hey, I'll never leave you. So if, if, if God has gone out of your life, he didn't leave you. We left him. Amen. We left him. So it's easy to correct. Thank God it's easy to correct. We come back and do his presence again. Amen. Thank you for, uh, for, for being here tonight. We're going to dismiss the kids. You guys enjoy your service tonight. Good to have everybody that's online tonight tuning in uh, to the service. So I want to ask a question. We'll set the mood and set the tone. You can be looking, uh, you can be turning to the book of Galatians tonight. We're actually going to touch the book of Galatians, uh, Nehemiah, and Matthew. I don't want to pose a question. As I often do. So what do you need from God? What do you need? We often think about things uh, in a from a from a monetary perspective. We often uh, think of things um, when we start thinking about things that we need. You know, if you ask me the question, if I'm not tuned in to God correctly, I will give you a a monetary kind of answer. I'll give you a, well, I mean, we could say it was a worldly answer. I'm not saying you don't need these things, but when you say, Tanner, what do you need from God? <clears throat> the first thing that I'm probably going to do is I'm probably going to go down my list of, of if I, all of my bills are paid. That's probably one of the first things that I'm going to do because we're just kind of geared to think that way. And so I'm going to go down and I'm going to look and, and make sure that my bills are paid. And, and if one of them looks like it might come up short, that's probably going to want to be the uh, first thing that I ask. I say, well, you know what? I got to get this bill paid. Now, is that important? Absolutely. But what I notice, though, in my own personal life over the years is, is that every time that pe- that question is posed, if every time that when that question comes up, what do you need from God? If every time we answer it of something of the world, we might not be in the spot that we need to be. Amen. If, and I know that everybody has needs. You've got needs. You go into your life and the person you know sitting next to you has needs. Uh, your coworker has needs. Everybody has needs. And those needs are subjective. They're always defined by that individual. But the one thing that God began to show me is, is that if that theme is something that always pops up in your life, if, if you're constantly in prayer for things that you can hold or touch, then the next question is, then where is our hunger and pursuit for God? Mm-hmm. And why isn't it a prayer 
that we are coming closer to him and why don't we identify those things as needs sometimes the pursuit of god gets mixed up in the the needs and the wants we take god and we put him in the wants section we don't necessarily put him in the need section i would like to have some more of god if it's possible but i got all these needs that i need i need i need this and i need this and i need this and i gotta have all of these things and, and I didn't ever think about it that way before. I never quite looked at it that way. I said, well, I want more of God, but I want, is it that I want more or do I need more? And which, which is it? And where am I at with that? And have I taken him and put him on the option list as a believer that when things are bad, I'll take more of you. And when things are good, I'll take less of you. And we kind of stick him, um, kind of on a level of supply and demand. You know what supply and demand is. You know, you have, you have a high demand, you need a high supply. And often God is treated that way. Often God is treated in the realm of supply and demand when things are at their worst, the most of him is needed. And when things are at their best, the least of him is needed. He's on the supply and demand. But see, when God's people need him they need him it takes on a different um, what's the word I'm looking for it takes on a uh, bit of a different look in our lives because we respond differently to needs we just that's just the way we are we just respond differently to needs we need something you respond differently to it when you need something it's almost walking the line of desperation you're desperate for it. I need it. I got to have it. Needs. I need that. And so tonight, I want to take you to some scripture. I want to show you something. I want to show you something that we need. We need. And we're going to look at the book of Galatians chapter 5. And let's start in verse 22. You know these scriptures. Verse 22 of chapter 5 of Galatians says, But the fruit of the Spirit is. How many of you have heard the scriptures of the fruit of the Spirit? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's fruits of the Spirit. It's, it's things, and, and it's actually, it's in the title. <laughs> it's, it's in the title. Fruit of the Spirit. So, with that said, these are things that cannot. So, if, if you can, you can kind of derive, you can kind of derive the answer out of that fruit of the Spirit. That means these things come from the Spirit realm okay these are things that are that are produced in the spirit realm and then given to you and put into your life it is not let me tell you what it's not through the spirit is not something that you obtain from the world okay it's not something that you you accomplish and then you're able to obtain and get it and say look i got it that's not it so we're talking about fruit of the spirit we know this to be something for the Christian believer, this is something that we want to have in our life. We all know that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. And they who are of Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections of the lust. In verse 25, which is one of the most popular scriptures, is if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Familiar territory. We all know this, okay? I know you know the, the, the scriptures. But this is what I want to point out to you before we get to moving in this. It's 
Let's back up into the, uh, the particulars. He said, these are the fruits of the Spirit. He said, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Fruit of the Spirit is joy. Fruit of the Spirit is peace and long-suffering. Fruit of the Spirit is gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. So if these are fruits of the Spirit, if I am walking in the Spirit, now this is a good question, if I am walking in the Spirit, if I want to walk in the Spirit, if you're asked, hey, do you want to walk in the Spirit? I say, yeah, you know, yeah, that's kind of an easy question to answer, right? Because I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to say, I want to walk in the Spirit. If that's the case, then can't, couldn't we identify these as needs? I need this. Not just, not just an optionated thing, not just something that we kind of put over, over on the side, and I'll take it if it comes. If it's a fruit of the Spirit, then I need it. I want this in my life. I gotta have this. To be productive, to be a productive Christian, I've got to have love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith. And what's funny about that is that often we don't realize that we need them until we get in a pinch and something is squeezing us and hurting us and we actually experience the lack of it. So let me give you an example. Now I'm just, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick one here because this is the one that the Lord picked. Joy. Let's use joy as an example because we're going to expound on joy tonight. So you've got... You've got a life running at you a thousand mile an hour. You've got work, you've got kids, you've got dinner. You've got uh, only seven days to be able to do all this, actually six, and we're gonna rest on the seventh. That's assuming you're doing it that way. You should be. <laughs> so we're doing all these things, and we've got all these activities, and we've got all this stuff that's coming down the pipe constantly. And then we get hit. You know, you know what I mean, you get hit. It was already hard enough to hold the thing together, but then, then something happens. It kind of takes the legs out from underneath of you. And then something happens again. And, and have you ever, you ever felt like you, you got knocked down and, you, and no matter how hard you tried, you just couldn't get back up again? Often, we could identify a lot of the things that happen in the Christian experience with that very thing. It's like I get knocked down, I feel like I can't get back up again. I get, I get hit, something happens, and something takes the wind out of me. Now, this is, this is the point that I want to make because in order to really understand the, the, the thing that's going on there, it's that if, if let's define joy because it makes more sense when we can define it. See, joy is um, an internalization of an internal experience. That's what joy is. It's an internalization of of an internal experience. And if we take it a step further, think about happiness. What is happiness? Well, happiness is an externalization of an external experience. Which is people always chasing happiness. You heard that, right? Well, happiness comes from a root word, happy, which is based on an emotion. Based on something you can feel. You see, joy is actually, it's not, not an association, it's actually the opposite. Because happiness is based on externalization, joy is based on internalization. You cannot acquire joy from an external experience. And so, you get the wind knocked out of you. You're trying to find it. It's like, where, where, 
where do I go? How do I get myself back together again? What I found, and, and I'm just giving you my own experience, and then we're going to press on, and we'll, we'll see what the Word says about it. In my own experience, what I found is, is that joy, there's something about joy that is sustaining. It's sustaining. Because true spiritual joy, you understand the origin, you understand where it comes from, then you know that everything can absolutely fall apart and you can maintain your joy. Why? Because it doesn't come from events that you experience. Those are external. Amen. So the origin of joy coming from an internal experience, we know that our true joy comes from Christ, Christ crucified, and what he's done in our life. That's why it makes perfect sense that if I don't have him, I can't make it. You've heard people say that before. That's not just, you know, when you really start looking into the, the scriptural details, it really is absolutely true. I can't make it without him. Why? Because, well, first of all, because of my salvation, the joy of the salvation of the Lord, I have a joy in my life that I can't quite explain, and I'm free from of my past life and the things that came with it. So now I've got this joy. I've got something inside of me that's working and moving. I get the wind knocked out of me. How do I recover? How do you recover after you get after you get knocked down? And and most assuredly, when you get knocked down, you're not happy anymore. Probably even depressed. And I know because I've struggled with depression over my life. I can tell you from experience that even though there are times that you know I've been I've been through like small stints. You know, everybody gets depressed from time to time. I've had large, long stints. That grab at the at the neck collar and feel as though it's pulling you down. Well, what is it? Is it does it magically go away? No. It's because you understand what you're actually relying on. And it's good because we need to be able to at times stop looking on the outside and the exterior and what external has to offer and then look back inward again. You've heard me say that before. It's a good thing that happened, you know, because it made you re-examine the internal mechanisms of what's going on. It made me re-examine my joy and why I'm actually doing this anyway. Where's my joy at? My joy is in him. Joy. An internalization of an internal experience. Happiness. An external an externalization of an external experience. I'll take joy any day. I'll take it. I'll take joy any day because it lasts. It makes it through. It's sustaining. And actually quite strong. Quite strong. Because when you when you start looking at... Um, I might have lost for words tonight. It's usually not my case. When you start looking at the volatility... That's a good word. That'll work. You start looking at the volatility of our uh, world and our nation, Right? And the things that are going on, you see it's always up and down. And personally, I've been on a roller coaster lately. I think as is everybody been on a roller coaster. But see, that roller coaster has no bearing on the joy that God has played in my life. No bearing. D does it at times wreck my happiness? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, how many of you have said, and I'll say this and we'll, we'll just keep moving. How many of you have said this, this very phrase, I, I wish it would just go back like it was before. Right. Well, I mean, we say that, and and it's because that we we know we were 
we were not battled and, and there was seemingly more happiness there. But, see, if joy is a lasting value and happiness is temporary, why are Christians so excited to stay in the temporary? And I wondered that. I've asked that about myself. Why are Christians so excited about staying in the temporary? Shouldn't we want the eternal? Shouldn't we want and desire the thing that stays and the thing that doesn't give up and the thing that doesn't uh, uh, break down? Oh, absolutely. So, so having sometimes having your happiness taken away from you is not necessarily a bad thing because it makes you re-examine the joys that God has put in your life. Joys. Uh, Pastor and I were talking about this, uh, coming back to fundamental Christianity. Do you know that I think that, and, and as Pastor and I talked about this, I know he's got a lot of messages probably coming upon this very thing, is that the fundamentals of Christianity have, have are so simple, and they have so much to do with such small, simple things like fellowship. That's fundamental Christianity. Fellowship. Um, uh, uh, redeeming the time. We know the Bible talks about uh, a lot about that. Do you know that that fundamental Christianity, that joy is wrapped up and laced all through that? It's laced all through it. By just executing fundamental Christianity. Just doing the thing that God said, here, do this. Do this. I'm going to take you somewhere tonight. I want you to actually turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. I want to show you something. Book of Nehemiah chapter 8. If you know the story, you know that uh, God's people were in, in, in decay. Uh, there was a lot of things that happened in the book of Nehemiah. Walls had to be Rebuilt. There had to be a, basically a, a, a restoration and a restoring of God's people and God's ways. That's one thing to understand about uh, Nehemiah is uh, not just a restoration of God's people, but a restoration of God's ways. And so we find ourselves in chapter 8. And what happened in chapter 8 was is that basically, and I'm just, I'm just going to kind of generalize and paraphrase this, the people come together. And they come to the priest, uh, Ezra, and they say, we want to hear what God has to say. That's what they said. They said, give us the book. Read. Read to us from the book of the law. We want to hear what God would say to us and tell us what to do. When you read through this, it's really amazing in chapter 8 because when you, you start seeing their humility. Because they're actually, and, and I think actually the, the scripture I think in, in chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, it says all the people had gathered themselves together as one man into the street. That was before the water gate. Everybody, women, men, everybody had gathered together, and they said, we want to hear God's word. And what I thought was so amazing about that, if you look down, and I'm just I'm, I'm going to skip a, a couple of scriptures here. Look at um, verse 5. So they've all gathered together in verse 5. It said, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Did you know that nobody actually told them to do that? Because the actual, um, I guess you could say the, the way that it was normally done, the traditional way, 
was that they stood when they prayed, a lot like we do. So they would stay, would pray. They opened the book, and everybody stood up. Could you, would you say that they were probably ready in themselves to get something? They're getting ready. It's a, this is a sign of reverence. This is a sign of pure reverence. They stand up at the reading of the word. Now I want you to skip over. I want you to look at verse 9 real quick. We're going to look at 9 and then we're going to look at 10. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershiath, and Ezra, the, price, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They were crying. Do you know why they were crying? They were crying because they had a full realization that they had not been living according to God's ways. A full realization. So we ain't, we're, we are way off course. We are not where we need to be. And this was on the reading of the law. And so this was the instruction that was given to them. Now, you've you got to pay attention to this because you're going to get to see a scripture here that you're often familiar with. But tonight we're going to put it in the right context. So verse 9, when he said, "Is this?" he said, um, this day is holy unto the Lord. Mourn not. Don't weep. He said, no more weeping for all the people that wept when they heard the words of the law. He said, no more weeping, no more mourning. That's got to stop. You know, think about that. Think about what he's saying here. Why? Because they were crying, and that is a heart of repentance. They were sorry for what they'd done. They said, I mean, it wasn't just sorry. It was repentance. So we were wrong. You know, okay. It's just like God. You know, when we, when we authentically repent, when we authentically come before him broken, I mean, it's immediate. There's restoration. He says, all right, get up. I'm no more crying. No, no more crying. Come on. Let's go now. Now look what happens. He said, no more crying. No more weeping. Verse 10. Then he said unto them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink the sweet. This is what this means. If you eat the fat, drink the sweet. He said, celebrate. Celebrate. Have a good time. Why? You think, well, wait a second. Not, is it time to celebrate? He said, yes. And send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be you sorry. Because that's done now. <coughs> he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go your way. I want you to eat the fat, drink the sweet, and rejoice. Why? Because at that moment, there was a restoration. At that moment, there was a restoration. He says something here. That we all know. He said, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I love that scripture. I quote that scripture often. But what's really powerful about the joy of the Lord is your strength is understanding where it came from. And why it came about. From what we can tell scripturally, that the joy of the Lord is your strength is being derived out of obedience. Obedience from what? From what God had spoken to them. Because he told them. The word, the, the Ezra the priest read the word. And what happened? They begin to weep and they begin to cry. It's like, whoa. We are not in a good place. Within that span of time that the word was read. In completion. And as they give a repentant of heart and begin to weep. He says, okay. No more weeping now. Now this is what I'm asking you to do. I need you to do this. And I need you to do this. And I need you to do this. I want you to go do it. Why should you do it? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, we'll flip it around. 
Think about, you have to read, you have to read Nehemiah to understand that. Where were they before? They were weak and broken. Well, they were without God, number one. Number two, they weren't even following his ways. And that's a big thing. So what happened in the restoration process is they recognized their fault. We weren't following his ways. Okay, what do we do to get back doing his ways again? It's quite simple. This is one of the points that I want to make tonight. Do what you've been told to do. That is one of the most fundamental criteria to maintaining the joy of the Lord in your life. To maintaining it. I mean, I constantly feel that the enemy is on attack against God's people. And it's some of this stuff right here about joy. Simple thing, joy. I mean, if I don't first identify that I need it, number one, it's going to be secondary to me. Which means it's going to be a lot easier to take. He's going to go after the thing that you're not protecting. The enemy is going to, to pursue the thing that you're not guarding. The thing that you're not looking to you think it's uh, passive. Joy is not a passive thing. It's not something to pass off. It's not something to pass over. If you identify joy as a need, then you're willing to fight for it. Much more willing to put up a fight. But if you don't identify it as a need, then it, it gets put secondary. What do you think the enemy's gonna go after? Well, I mean, not just joy. What about your peace? If, if, if your peace is, is sacrificial, I like to term it as that because I feel many times in my life I have sacrificed my peace for the sake of some sort of um, gain. I cooked up within myself that I thought I had to have it. And what did I do in the process? I traded my peace. And the whole time before I, I had identified it as, as, as a need, I got to have my peace, I got to have my peace, until something became more important to me and I got my priorities mixed up. When I got my priorities mixed up, I wasn't in pursuit of peace anymore. It was secondary. It was passive. And guess who got a hold of my peace? The enemy. And what did I have to do? I had to go back and I had to go get it. It's so much better to maintain your peace and your joy than to have to go back and dig it out. So, our joy is maintained through obedience. Through obedience. It's not like, um, it's not like this, um, you know, like some sort of uh, equation that you have, you know, X minus Z equal. You don't have, there's not an equation to put together when it comes to joy, okay? And that's something that we find in God's word is that we see him talking and telling us, what do I got to do? You know, I feel like, um, I've heard people say that, I feel empty inside. I don't feel like I did before. Well, my first question, my first question to myself and my first question to anyone else is, have you been obedient to the Lord? I didn't ask you if you went to church. I didn't, I didn't, no, it's not, I'm not even talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about your personal relationship with him. And has he been telling you to do something that you hadn't been doing? Has he been convicting you of something that you hadn't faced? Is he dealing with you and saying, hey, we need to go forward with this. We need to confront this. 
I'm asking you to be obedient to me. I'm asking you to preach the word, teach the word, whatever it is. I can tell you that your joy is directly connected by scripture to obedience. And are we obedient to the Lord? And, and it's, it's really revealing because if you take it and you flip it, flip it around and, and ask it a little bit different of a question is, can I be joyful and not be obedient to the Lord? I think that's more revealing. It makes perfect sense. How can I maintain joy? How can I maintain spiritual joy, a, a gift given to me by God, a fruit of the Spirit? How can I maintain that but not be obedient to him? It would seem that the two would be in correlation. They are in direct correlation to each other. Where is the joy? The joy is in the obedience. Um, Pastor and I have been talking about this. <clears throat> so much of the church today seems sad. Seems sad. Even an air of sadness. And I'm not saying that we don't go through things that make us sad sometimes. And I'm not saying that we don't go through things that challenge those, those, those uh, parts of our life. So don't, don't take me the wrong way. It's not knocking going through things because we all go through things. We all go through emotions and we all have feelings. And sometimes we even endure and go through things that don't give up for long periods of time. We know that. But what, what do we do, though? What, when you look at your life and you look at what has been the... <clears throat> What has been the most solid thing in your life? What's God? God's the most solid thing in your life. God's always been there. He's always been there. And so when I'm trying to figure out where I went wrong, if I feel like I've lost that, I come back to the very basic building block that got me to where I was at to begin with, and it was just doing what he asked me to do. That was it. What are you asking me to do? Well, I'm asking you to go to the altar and pray. Did you do it? Well, no, I didn't do it. Well, what about what about when you was at the store? Did you did you witness? Did you mention Christ like like I asked you to do? Did you did you be the light that I'd asked you to be? Well, no, I'm kind of working on that right now. You see, it can it can look as though everything is perfectly fine. It can look as though everything is cool. Everything is going exactly like it's supposed to go. I don't have any issues. But see, only you know if you really struggle with joy. Joy. And joy being directly connected with obedience, that has to be something that we challenge ourselves with, is am I, have I been obedient to what God has asked me to do? And whatever level that is, wherever that's at on the, on the spectrum, Whatever that is, you have to call yourself out on that because your joy is going to be directly connected to it. Isn't it? I mean, think about it. Haven't you been obedient to God before? Haven't, haven't, hasn't he asked you to do something? You did it. Did you walk away sad? No. Wasn't there something that stirred up inside of you? You were like, man, that was good. I think well, I want to try that again. I want to try that again. But, and I don't have time to go into this. But there is a direct correlation to the opposite of joy in quenching the spirit. Because, see, the spirit is the depth of a relationship with God. You're gonna, I'm going to do a message on that it's pretty soon. 
The spirit is the depth of a relationship with God. And so what the spirit does is he asks God's people according to the will of the father. Hey, I've got a task for you to carry out. I've got something I need you to do. In church, it comes down to very simple things. It's as simple as a prayer. It's as simple as a phone call. It's as simple as an altar. It's as simple as a prayer. It's very simple in obedience to the Lord, and then you build from that. And so my, my question before we move on to Matthew, and that's something I want you to take with you tonight, is have I done what he's asked me to do? Have I done what he's asked me to do? Okay. Let's look at um, Matthew chapter 25. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Also familiar territory, and you know that if you're in Matthew 25, 14, you know that you're at the parable of the talents. <clears throat> so a parable was a, a, a story that Jesus would give, and it was always symbolic, but there was a spiritual lesson to learn from every time that he gave a parable. And he even explains that when disciples ask him, why do you talk to people in parables? And so the the way that we get this is that the moment that you see that Jesus is talking in parables, and this is a lesson that we all learn from, is the moment that he starts talking in parables, there's a lesson to be learned. It's like, wait a second, listen. Listen to what he's saying. It's not like where you just kind of sit there and you just listen to the story, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. No. No, there's something to be gleaned from the parable of the talents. And so I'm just going to read through it and I want to show you something. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servant and delivered unto them his goods. He's, he addresses this at the beginning. He says, For the kingdom of heaven. He, often, he says this often. So we're talking about kingdom things, okay? Kingdom lessons. We all know that there's a difference between this world and the kingdom world, right? So we're talking about kingdom things. When he says the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered to them his goods. And then to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. And to every man, according to the several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two had also gained other two. But he who had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he who had received five talents came and brought another five talents, saying, Lord, you have delivered unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. So we already know. You know the story. So what I want to point out is this, is that this is, once, once again, number one, it's a parable. There's something to be gleaned. There's, a, there's, a, there's an example here. Uh, number two, he's speaking about the kingdom of heaven. He said, this is a kingdom thing that you got to get, that you got to understand. And what he, what he does is he gives this example, and he said, here's this master here, and, he, and he, he gives them these talents, and what does he do? He said, this is yours. Here, do something with it. Here, here it is. You got five, 
And he, in verse 20, he said, And so he had received the five talents and came and brought the other five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me my five. Behold, I've gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the what? Joy of the Lord. Now, why, why would we point that out? You think, well, that's, that's given, right? Well, I think often we look at this, and you, first of all, you hear the word heaven. You automatically start thinking, okay, we're not, we're not talking about kingdom of heaven here on earth. We're just talking about being with the Lord and living with him forever. Remember, this is a parable. So we're not talking about a literal thing. We're talking about a symbolic thing. And so when he says joy, we're not talking about the joy that we're going to have when we live with him. We're talking about joy that is derived from what? Doing what you've been told. That's where the joy comes from. He said, enter into joy. You got joy. Because you did what you were told to do. You had the five. He said, I made five more. He said, come on in. The joy of the Lord is yours. And it's so simple. When you look at those scriptures and I see it and I think, man, that's, that's just a three-letter word. Joy. I mean, it can't possibly be that simple. It can't possibly be because I've been, I've been crying and I've been praying and I've been getting prayed over. And I've been casting demons out and all kinds of stuff so I can get my joy back. It might possibly be one of the simplest things to acquire the joy of the Lord is to simply do what you've been told. He said, welcome in to the joy of the Lord. Verse 22, he said, he also who had received the two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered uh, unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. Now, at this point, in verse 23, I'm actually waiting for the interpretation to be a little bit different than them to maybe take that word out. You know, I want to research this. I want to find out if it's, uh, if, if, it's, if it's correct. But he does. He says exactly the same thing. He says, His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And it did not matter whether it was five or whether it was two. Didn't matter whether it was five or whether it was two. Guess what both individuals was able to acquire? Joy. Now think about that. I mean, that's, that's a complete contradiction, really. Because, I mean, most of the time, we're thinking, I want to be the one with the five. <laughs> right? I want to be the one with the five. I want the five. I want the five talents. I, I mean, two's great. Fine. That's, that's fantastic. As long as I don't have one. Right? I want the five. But the reward was the same across the board. It didn't matter if it was five. It didn't matter if it was two. I don't think it would have mattered if it was three or four. What mattered is they both had done what they were told with what they had. How often can we, and how, well, I didn't say that right. How easy is it for Christians to look at somebody else's pasture and wish and want it was that way. I wish I had it that way. They seem to have it much better than I do. They seem to have more than I do. I didn't, I'm not saying that anyone in here said that. I'm simply saying that often Christians get caught up, we get caught up looking, looking at everything else, and we think it'd be nice to have that, it'd be nice to have that, and then we look at somebody else that is a Christian, and that they've accomplished those things, and we think, I wish I was in their boat. 
But see, it doesn't matter whether it's five or whether it's two. The key is what was obtained because of your responsibility, and it was joy. It was joy. It was with the Lord, but you see, it was with joy. I was able to obtain joy. Let's, let's continue on and let's see if joy is uh, mentioned again. And he said, and then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I know you and that you are a hard man. I, will. <laughs> I love this part of the scripture because, you know, the way he describes his Lord, he sounds like a really bad person. I know you and that you are a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not planted. And I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the earth. Lo, there you have which is yours like that was a good thing you know he's kind of painting this picture you're a hard man i'm afraid of you <laughs> you know i'm gonna dig a hole we're just gonna put it right there well as his lord answered and said unto him you wicked and slothful servant there's two things that you have to you have to recognize here and it's what he called him what did he call him number one he called him wicked and number two he said you're lazy Think about that. He said, you're wicked and you're lazy. I think, I mean, I've been called lazy before, but I've never been called wicked. <laughs> that's, that's taking it up a notch. It's like, whoa, whoa, hold on a second now. But that was, the, that was his identification. See, the other ones got welcomed in and they got joy. What did he get? He got the identification of wickedness and slothfulness. He said, you're lazy. You knew that I reap where I sow not and gather where I have not planted. You know why he said that? He basically saying, you know that ain't true. You know it ain't true. I don't know why you said that, but you know that's not true. Verse 27, you ought therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my uh, coming I should have received mine own with your or or interest. Take therefore the talent from him and give it to him which has the ten talents, for unto everyone who has shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him who has not shall be taken away even that which he has. For the longest time, I thought verse 29 was unfair. And I wasn't doubting the word. I just didn't understand it. I was like, man, that's kind of hard. I mean, the guy only had one tell you going to take it away from me? No, here's the thing. He said, I'm going to remove it if you're not going to do anything with it. And so when you put it in the right context, you actually understand what's being done here. It's actually justice. Justice in its purest form. So if you're not going to do anything with what I gave you, then I'm going to give it to somebody who will. And he gives it to the one with the ten talents. You think, well, like this guy needed it anymore. He had a lot, but why would he give it to him? Because he had the ability to do what he was told, even though he had a lot going on. I mean, you got a lot going on. Do much is given, much is required, right? You heard that scripture, you know. So he said, I'm going to give it to him because I know he's going to do something with it. And I, and I got to thinking about that. He said he made five. He said, I'm going to give it to the one that has the ten. Now, how many has he got now? He's got 11. So what's up next? 22. You see? So he knows this guy's going to produce. And you see, there was something in all of this. And it's not just the, the, the what you get with the talent. It's the obedience of the Lord in the small things that you have in your life. Because often we feel 
as though we're the one with the one talent. It's like when I've been given one. And, and a lot of times Christians are not happy with their one. They're not happy with it. I guess in a sense you could say this guy wasn't happy with it. He wasn't happy with the one. You know, I don't like the fact that you gave me one. I think you're hard and you're unfair. So I'm going to dig it. I'm going to put it in a hole. There it is. I saved it for you. <laughs> and so what has God put in our life that he is asking us to be obedient to? I don't, know your, I don't know your spiritual circle, so I don't know what God has been asking you to do. But this is, we have to understand as God's people that regardless of, of, of uh, governmental affairs and regardless of um, maybe uh, things in our life right now, maybe health problems and issues that we're going through and dealing with, it's not a denial of the reality that every one of these things are challenging and, and most difficult. But God's people cannot lose their joy. We can't let that go. It can't be compromised. And so if if tonight, and maybe some of you that are online, maybe there's been a struggle of, of, the, of maintaining joy, and how do I get my joy back? You be obedient with the one talent that he gave you. One thing. What did I ask you to do? And did you do it? If we can come back to that, just that, that puts us back on track again. We can get back on track with that. What did you tell... What did you tell me to do? I asked you to go and pray for that person. Well, I didn't do it. Well, you better go do it. We'll be obedient. And then I, I truly believe, according to Scripture, if we do the small thing that God has asked us to do, and even if it's just one talent, one thing, and we multiply it to two, but guess what? Even though I may only have two talents, I get welcomed into the joy of the Lord. His joy will be my joy. And I'll be joyous once again. Would you stand tonight? You've heard me say it before. And I'm saying it again. But I'm saying it because I've been inspired by the Holy Spirit to say this. I believe you've been given something tonight as well as I have to challenge us. I believe we have been given something tonight to challenge challenge us in the joy of the Lord. You know, it's 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 one of those things that I think often we think is is just kind of like, you know, we just kind of float through and we get joy and then maybe it disappears for a while and then we can get it back sometimes. No. Joy. God is saying tonight, joy is maintainable. You can have it. It's yours. But it is in connection with doing what he's asked you to do. So tonight, I hope that you're probing, and I ask the Holy Spirit tonight for my life and for yours as we pray tonight. I'm asking for him to begin to reveal to us places in our lives that we have needed to be obedient for a long time, and we hadn't done it. We just, for whatever reason, we just hadn't done it. And that's not knocking anybody. That's not saying anybody isn't a Christian. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this because of in the, the climate that we are in today, Christians need to maintain their joy. We're going to get it and hold on to it because we need each other. We need each other now more than ever. So tonight, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for tonight. Father, and I want to be, I'm so thankful tonight for the joy of the Lord. I'm so thankful, God, that you have given us something, Father God, that we can, 
we can look forward to and that we can maintain and we can press into you, Lord God, and we can we can experience who you are. Father, I pray tonight a, a very general and open prayer. God, if there be anything, God, in our life that we have not been obedient to you in, Father, I pray that we be obedient. God, I pray that you bring us back to the fundamental things of you and that we just simply do what we've been told in prayer and in your word. Father, I pray tonight, God, that you raise up a people who are ready to fight. Father, God, a, a, a people, Lord God, not afraid to face the enemy, not afraid to pray, and not afraid to stand up for each other. Father, I pray, God, at the basis of all this, Lord, we need our joy. I pray, God, if anyone has lost their joy, God, that we are able to now have a road map back to it. Father, thank you for these things. I pray for full restoration. As you did, Father God, with Nehemiah, Lord, I pray for a restoration of your people, Lord, and back into the ways of joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you tonight. God bless you. Um, Pastor, any announcements before we dismiss tonight? Okay. Nothing misty? Anything? All right. Thank you guys for online for being on. and. Um, God bless you guys, and you're dismissed, and we'll see you Sunday.